Hey there, friends. What is up? Before we get into the show, I wanted to mention that I'm going to be doing something new. I am currently sitting at 100 episodes of this podcast, and I'm going to start looking for sponsors. So instead of running some automated ad for like a cell phone company or something like that, I figured I would just reach out to you, the listener, to see if you guys would be interested in potentially sponsoring this podcast. So if you record bands and you want to get the word out, or you've got a new single from your band and you want to get the word out, hit me up and let's collaborate. Let's make this work. I'm going to keep it very affordable and this is going to be a great way to get some new fans or get a new audience could be a fun little partnership if you're interested shoot me a dm on instagram my handle is at kyle k-y-l-e underscore devlin d-e-v v as in victor l-i-n underscore underscore okay and now on to the show Hey there, friends. My name is Kyle Devlin, and this is Having a Blast. Having a Blast is a pop punk, punk rock, and emo podcast where we're going to be discussing all things punk rock ethos and personal development and the parallels within. We'll also be doing some deep dives on important albums and bands. I'm going to be talking to band members, producers, and a bunch of my friends, and I want to know what makes these people tick. How has being self-motivated moved them in the direction of their goals? We're going to have a lot of fun finding out. So without further ado, let's get into it. friends welcome to the show i hope you all are doing well out there beyond podcast land i am excited to do a different kind of episode today i've been doing a lot of interviews lately and those are incredibly fun and also life-giving and i've been really enjoying doing those today is also incredible and life-giving i'm going to be doing a special episode dedicated to listing out my favorite five fat records releases of the 90s yes You remember the 90s, right? (laughs) What an incredibly crazy time. And I remember the 90s well. I remember Friends. I remember Generation X, Bill Clinton. I remember the fashion. And thankfully, I grew up during this time. This is a very formative time for me. And it just happened to be perhaps the greatest era of skate punk. And I'm just so happy I was introduced to it. Yes, that is correct. Today, I'm discussing some of my favorite Fat Records releases and really some of the most influential albums of my entire life. I would imagine many of yours as well if you're listening to this. My first introduction to Fat Records was around the year 1995 or possibly early 1996. I was 12 years old. I was already aware of NoFX and I had been listening to Punk and Drublick. Somebody gave me that cassette tape and I fell in love. Subsequently, after discovering Green Day, I think Green Day was the floodgate moment for a lot of people in terms of discovering punk rock bands like Bad Religion and NoFX. And although my first time hearing NoFX was from hearing a song on the first Punkorama compilation at a friend's house, I happened to have some friends that, for whatever reason, had copies of punk records and punk compilations. And my friends skateboarded, and some of them had older siblings that had introduced them to skate punk and punk rock, respectively. The first song I remember hearing that had any fat affiliation was a music video for soulmate the song is one of the best from california's no use for a name one of my favorite bands still to this day when i heard 
Soulmate, when I heard this song, I was immediately hooked. I loved it. I loved the silly music video that accompanied it. It was wedged between videos of snowboarders and other punk rock videos. I was already in love with skate punk and listened to a lot of Bad Religion and NoFX. But hearing Soulmate was like entering an entirely new world. At that point, I had been listening to Dookie for over a year and my ears were keenly aware of melodic punk music. And there was just something about it that immediately grabbed my attention and immediately grabbed me. You know, even now I talk to Pamela sometimes about how I miss walls of distorted guitars. Of course, there's still tons of bands that do it, but not in popular music it seems. The guitar is making a comeback, which is cool. The next introduction to Fat Records was when I discovered two things simultaneously. One was Fat's compilation CDs. They were being sold at music stores for extremely cheap. You probably remember like I do when you would go into Sam Goody or Best Buy or something, and they were literally selling music albums for 22 bucks. And then you'd go over to the various section, and you'd see a lot of these punk rock compilations that were being sold for anywhere between 3 and $5. So that was something that was completely new, completely foreign to me, but ultimately really, really cool. The second thing that I discovered simultaneously with the Fat Wreck compilations was Propagandi's How to Clean Everything. My good friend Garrett, God bless those friends that help shape your musical tastes. Thanks, Garrett. My friend had purchased the two compilations that were available at the time, Fat Music for Fat People and Survival of the Fattest. And needless to say, the minute we discovered those compilations, it was game on. We wore those things out out. I still have extremely fond memories associated with all four, the first four or five fat rec comps. On Fat Music for Fat People and Survival of the Fattest, it's not hyperbole to say that my friends and I, we loved every song. We sang every word, or at least we pretended to sing the words we thought each singer was singing, because <laughs> you couldn't always decipher what they were saying. Similar to MXPX Life in general, sometimes you just mouthed phonetically the words that were coming out. I still have all of my Fat Wreck compilation albums to this day. They're treasure to me. They're important to me. And I have them on my shelf right behind me. And every time I see them, I get happy. So that's what Fat Records does for me. Going back to that second thing that I discovered simultaneously, because my friend Garrett, he also happened to buy a copy. I think he got them from CD Warehouse, actually. But I remember he had purchased Propagandi's How to Clean Everything as well. So the first album that I'd like to highlight, and one of my favorite punk records of the 90s, and absolutely one of my favorite Fat Records releases, is none other than Propagandi's first official album, How to Clean Everything. Dance and laugh and play, like another message we convey, this seems we're only here to entertain. A rebellion catch up fit, well I refuse to be the soundtrack to it, we entertain we're still deep in shit. What a game changer of a record. Fat Mike has said that How to Clean Everything helped define not only the fat record sound, but also he's mentioned in interviews that Propagandi's first record for fat helped to inspire the songs and guitar tones on Punk and Drublick. So everybody was listening to Bad Religion before this, and everybody was in love with Epitaph bands, but Propagandi really ushered in a different type of sound with skate punk associated with it, with How to Clean Everything. The fact that it influenced an album like Punk and Drublick, which is also another defining classic among the punk and skate punk genres, speaks to the power and influence that that record had and that that band had. It's unfortunate that they had a falling out, Fat Mike and Propagandi, but 
We're always going to have how to clean everything, less talk, more rock. Today's empires, tomorrow's ashes. These are these are game changer records. Propagandi is a Canadian punk rock band formed in Portage, La Prairie, formed officially in 1986, which is crazy. This record came out in 1993, and they formed in 1986 by Chris Hanna, the singer, and drummer Jord Samoleski. And the band is currently located in Winnipeg, completed by their bassist Todd and guitarist Suleen. And what a ripper. Seen some live videos. I've never actually seen Propagandi live. It's actually a crazy coincidence, but the one time I was supposed to see Propagandi live in Lawrence, Kansas, and they were supposed to play at the Bottleneck, this just happened to occur on the same day as September 11th, 2001. They were on tour for Today's Empires, Tomorrow's Ashes. I still have a big poster slash flyer of the show with the date and everything. They canceled the show, as you can imagine, but... That was the one and only time I was supposed to see them play. I hope they make it back to this part of the world at some point. They like to play the coasts, but they rarely come to the Midwest anymore unless it's like Chicago. How to Clean Everything, as I mentioned, the debut album by the punk rock band Propagandi, released in 1993 on Fat Records. It was recorded and produced by Joe Becerillo. He had worked at the time with Pennywise, The Offspring, No Effects, and Bad Religion. And vocalist Chris Hanna said this about the album while reminiscing about the album. I dig it. We still play songs from that record. When I hear them and I play them, the message still resonates with me, and I can see the 20-year-old Chris writing those songs. It's still fun. I still get a kick out of it. When we play them these days, they seem seamless in the set with the new songs. There's a bit of a difference in terms of the depth and dimension, but they're still just as fun to play. I just don't like when I hear that record, like when I hear that actual record, the recording. That moment in time, I'm just like, Jesus Christ, turn that fucking thing off. But I don't regret it. I'm not trying to hide that record from people. I just can't lie to people and tell them we're going to make another How to Clean Everything. And that's fair. They've made a lot of classic records since then. They're still putting out fantastic records, including Victory Lap that came out. I think almost four years ago now, which is insane. But yeah, Bucket List Band. The record was released on May 31st, officially 1993. 1993, people. It's insane to me how good that record still sounds. Despite what Chris Hanna might say, I think the recording holds up surprisingly well. The guitars and drum tones specifically... I don't want to presume to know exactly if this is the case, but there's a part of me that believes his biggest hang-up is probably his vocals on the record. With each subsequent release from the band Propagandi, Chris gets less snotty, and he has a deeper tone, a deeper tonality to his voice, and... There's also a confidence to his voice that he's clearly developed over time. This is the case for so many vocalists, Chris Hanna included, but I can still hear his voice in that first record, even if it is a little snottier and much younger. This record is a fun ripper of a record. It's relentless in its execution. There's an urgency to it. There's fury, anger, angst, disillusionment, idealism, nihilism, sarcasm, progression, and fun. It's a fun record. This record is what most punk bands aspire to be. Having fun pointing to the absurdity of life and all its bullshit, that's what punk bands do. This is the first time I had ever heard someone sing so passionately about everything that is wrong with the world, from the blistering opening of Anti-Manifesto, which is so cleverly coined, the chugs of the Scott-inspired guitars remain distorted, (laughs) because fuck it. (laughs) They just wanted to keep those guitars distorted, even if they were going to poke fun at ska. Dance and laugh and play, ignore the message we convey those lyrics. That type of attitude has always stuck with me, even when it's not true. We stand for something more than a faded sticker on a skateboard. 
They cared. They still care. Despite how ridiculous it all can seem at times, they were so smart and ahead of their time. The other item that's noteworthy to me is the fact that they were a three-piece then. They're a freaking trio. They've since added a second guitar player and they've spent a decent amount of time being a four-piece band. They've had different iterations, but wow, hard to believe that How to Clean Everything came from a trio. I still put this record on at least once a year and I can listen to the whole thing a few times without any skips. When I heard the guitar riffs and songs like Anti-Manifesto and Fuck Machine, I can't help but hear a couple of hundred pop-punk bands that owe their allegiance to Propagandi. So influential. The guitar work is so undeniably catchy in these songs. My band Game Time was absolutely trying to create guitar riffs that catchy. With all these albums that I'm highlighting, I'm going to give you the Fat Records description on their website because I think they're funny. So here's the Fat Records description on the website for How to Clean Everything. The first wave of Canadian vegans to cross the U.S. punk border, a whole bunch of fast melodic PC songs that'll make you want to laugh as the government burns to the ground, songs about Megan, bacon, and vegans. <laughs> nice. I wonder who wrote these. Hopefully it was Fat Mike. Okay, so the second album that I'd like to highlight is none other than the album Making Friends by the band No Use for a Name. This conversation sickens me. Please let me out, I'll take a bus. And though I try to understand, I didn't know. Why can you say that I'm a have to say this was extremely difficult this whole list was difficult but this was really difficult i had a hard time deciding as you can imagine which no use record i was going to choose i could see many people making the argument that leche con carne should be included in a list like this or what could be considered no use's opus and more betterness i chose making friends because it's the first album from no use that i listened to front to back the first record of theirs that i found myself getting my hands on it hit me at the right time in my developing nature as a human it was the first record that i remember digesting all in one sitting from them my friends and i bonded over the discovery of that record as well was discovering songs like Soulmate on Leche Con Carne and then eventually buying that record too, but I'll never forget listening to Making Friends for the first time in one of my best friend's dad's truck on the way to buy skate shoes, which is not ironic. It actually makes perfect sense, but I remember sitting in the back seat listening to that record in its entirety on the way to the shoe store. They quickly became one of my favorite bands. No Use for a Name, sometimes abbreviated New Fan or No Use, was an American punk rock band from Sunnyvale, California, formed also in 1986, the same year that Propagandi formed. Making Friends is the fourth studio album by punk rock band No Use for a Name, released in the year 1997, a little over 25 years ago now. It also includes the hidden track cover of the Kiss song Beth, which is so great. At the end of Beth, the band starts to play Soulmate, but gets interrupted by Tony Sly. <laughs> and you can hear him saying, wait a minute, Wait a minute, hold on. Fields of Athen Rye is an Irish folk ballad written in 1970 by Pete St. John. It's a great way to wrap up the album with the bagpipes at the beginning. Very cool. Making Friends was released on August 19th, 1997. Same day as Double Platinum by Lagwagon. What a day for music. It was produced by Ryan Green, who was the helm of so many amazing Fat releases, and in many ways, Fat Sound was cultivated in large part due to the engineering prowess of Ryan Green. We owe a debt of gratitude to Mr. Ryan Green. 
for giving us a wonderful skate punk sound. I'd love to get him on the podcast at some point and talk to him about it. He helped the bands to have that definitive 90s skate punk sound with the clicking of the kick drum and the panned guitars. And he just helped these bands craft really great songs. Soulmate made no use a celebrated name in up and coming punk acts. They would be compared to bands like Bad Religion. And I know Bad Religion, if you listen to Tony Sly in interviews, he talks about what a massive influence Bad Religion was. They were also compared to bands like NoFX for obvious reasons, but what followed in Making Friends really took them to another level. They sold six-figure units relatively quickly with Making Friends, another anomaly in the world of indie punk bands at the time, and something that would set the stage for later melodic punk acts and pop punk acts like Blink-182. They were also one of the first bands to really hit it big on the Vans Warp Tour. They were one of the first bands to be highlighted on the Vans Warp Tour. I love every single note on Making Friends, even with its dark tone initially on The Answer Is Still No. There's a hopefulness and an earnestness in the songs and Tony's lyrics. The recording sounded massive for the time. The songs were complex in their chord arrangements, are complex in their chord arrangements, but they had an urgency to them. I love the guest vocals given to songs like On the Outside from Karina of Dancehall Crashers fame. Her voice with Tony's, there's just something so uniquely beautiful about those two. The pairing of her voice along with Tony Sly is one that they would do a couple more times on different albums. I love Dickie as a guest vocalist too on the bridge of Growing Down from the Mighty Mighty Boss Stones. It just works for what it was, and I'm sure they met and bonded on Warp Tour. Tony's songwriting had a way of cutting to the core of the listener, myself included. His lyrics were so relatable and are so relatable you can hear him making sense of the world around him in this record and life is messy this record reflects that with the themes therein and i gotta give it up to mr matt riddle i'm gonna get him on the podcast at some point matt riddle's bass playing is such a wonderful counter to the guitars on this record he never overplays his hand he supports the songs and it adds so much to the record and rory Koff is an incredible powerhouse punk drummer one of the greats he's great on this record all the fills are great and they work well he never overplays the songs do have a tinge of melancholy to them and i think i've recognized this as i've gotten older i didn't recognize it then but the song's melancholy it's never detracted me from listening to this record again and again throughout the years this record is like an old friend really one that i love and appreciate more with time invincible the second song is still one of my all-time favorite punk songs and absolutely one of my favorite no use tracks such a great song powerhouse of a song that opening unbelievable the guitar solos are also some of my favorite additions to making friends we all know what a ripper and i've been saying ripper a lot but i don't know how else to describe him but chris shiflett is an amazing guitar player he was destined for greatness and moving on to being the lead guitarist in the foo fighters but i'm glad his contributions to no use for a name exist and have stood the test of time as it continues to be something i enjoy to this day the melodies have always been something i've gravitated towards with no use's songs tony had a knack for writing extremely catchy melodies, mature melodies, melodies that are timeless. His songs were ones that you wanted to repeatedly listen to, even when he would deviate from traditional song structures. Tony wasn't afraid of writing different words to multiple choruses in the same song. A huge fan of the Beatles. It makes sense why he did that. I don't know anyone who does that anymore, really. It doesn't seem to be something that happens a whole lot in terms of writing different words for choruses. I mean, I think that takes guts. (laughs) 
Okay, so I'm going to read the Fat Records description on their website. Bay Area Punk Wonder Boys, no use for a name, have begun pleading for your friendship. Show your love for the boys who are each reared with the ideals of Boy Scout Troop number 221 by giving them wet sloppy ones when they come to your town. Okay, yeah. And that's in reference to the Mark DeSalvo artwork of a troop of Boy Scouts with... Uh, one running up to the group on fire in the background. I just got to say it, long live, no use for a name, rest in peace, never forget Tony Sly. We always have his music to turn back to. We always have his records. And I'm very, very grateful and thankful for that. I'm also very thankful for the fact that I did get to see No Use For A Name play several times when we were on Warp Tour in 2002. Every chance I had to watch No Use For A Name, I took it because I was so excited to see them and excited to see those legendary fat wreck bands. At that point, they were still legendary. Lagwagon, No effects, No Use for a Name, Bad Religion. I watched all those bands every chance I could. And I saw No Use probably at least 10 times just in that summer. And they were incredible. Got to see Tony Sly solo a couple times. And I'm just very grateful to him and his legacy lives on. All right. The third record I'd like to highlight is from another legendary band that helped form the legacy of not only skate punk, but fat records and really helped to define a sound and defined a sound with their own band, really. This record is from the band Lagwagon, and I am highlighting their record, Let's Talk About Feelings. Lagwagon is an American punk rock band originally from Goleta, California, just outside of Santa Barbara, my favorite place to visit in California. A lovely place. They formed in the year 1989. Lagwagon originally started under the name Section 8, but were dissatisfied with the name because there were multiple other bands that were already using it. According to the liner notes of the re-release of Duh, the album Duh. It was Fat Mike's idea to switch the name to Lagwagon based on the already written song of the same name, Lagwagon, about the band's unreliable touring van. And after signing to Fat Mike's label Fat Records, Lagwagon released their debut for the label, the album that I just mentioned, Duh, in 1992. So they've been a band for 30 years. They just wrapped up their 30-year tour. It did not come here, unfortunately. It's been a while since I've seen Lagwagon, probably a decade or so. But one of my favorite bands, this band is a unique band a special band, and an extremely talented band with several iterations over the years, but the common thread has always been Joey Cape. His voice is one of those that's instantly recognizable, part Don Henley, part John Fogarty, but still a voice that is authentically his. And Joey is the one known for writing the bones of each song, the skeleton, if you will. But he has mentioned in interviews that a Lagwagon song is made when the other members infuse their DNA and ideas into it. With influences ranging from 70s pop music to Iron Maiden to Simon and Garfunkel and even to bands that venture into math rock and progressive territory. The sound of Lagwagon has considerable range. Let's Talk About Feelings is the fifth full-length album released by the punk rock band Lagwagon on November 24th, 1998. 
My first introduction to Lagwagon was from Haas. I remember hearing those songs on the Fat Rec comps and absolutely loving it. And then me and my friends would try to find their records at places like CD Warehouse and all the other record stores and everything. But Let's Talk About Feelings is my favorite Lagwagon record. It was difficult to choose because there are a lot of great Lagwagon records. And I feel like I go in seasons where I'll listen to Haas for a little while, then Double Platinum, then Let's Talk About Feelings. Even Blaze is incredible, the album that came out after this record. My first introduction to Let's Let's talk about feelings came from the first song on the Fat Wreck comp, Life in the Fast Lane, and that came out right before the album. They featured May 16th, which has become one of the band's most well-known and loved songs. The fans have even coined May 16th as Lagwagon Day. I remember sitting in my bedroom listening to this song for the first time, and it hit me like a train. Not to be cliche, but it really did nail me to my seat when I heard it. The recording was shockingly good for the time. I was immediately hooked by the melodic picking part that sits solo. It was written by guitarist Chris Rest that there's lots of game time riffs that are trying to rip that off but that's just before the blistering double time beat by Mr. Dave Ron, an incredible drummer. This was his second record by the way with one of the most iconic and best Joey Cape melodies. No more waiting on them. I remember calling my friends after hearing the song for the first time and telling them about how amazing the new Lagwagon record was going to be. What's interesting about Lagwagon, similar to No Use For A Name, if you were to eliminate the drums, this song, along with many of the other songs, would just be a pop ballad, even with its less conventional song structure. And, you know, the fact that it's got a minute-long guitar outro. The song, May 16th, would become a fan favorite, as I mentioned, and was included in the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 soundtrack. In 2016, Noisy did an interview with singer and songwriter Joey Cape about the meaning of the song and how the date had the nickname Lagwagon Day. Speaking about the inspiration for the song, this is Joey Cape speaking, you know, it was me hungover in an apartment with some girl I went home with from the bar the night before. There was an acoustic guitar in the corner. I heard this ruckus happening in a park adjacent to the apartment complex. And it was just a wedding happening on this Saturday, May 16th, and my heart just broke. This wedding that I hadn't been invited to for someone I was so close to for so many years of my life, where a misunderstanding caused a falling out between us from some time before. That story is very long and I don't want to revisit it, but I kind of picked up the guitar and the first thing that came to mind was, it's just another Saturday, but obviously I was in denial. The melody and the song came together. By the time my new friend got out of the shower or whatever, I had this terribly sad song. So that's Joey Cape talking about the inception and idea and theme behind May 16th. The entire record, Let's Talk About Feelings, it really takes you on a ride. Somehow, these songs, many of which don't have defined choruses and verses and things, it still makes the listener want to listen again and again. It's very repeatable in terms of listening ability. It's also a very short and concise record, clocking in at 25 minutes and 25 seconds. So it's a breeze to listen to. It's really quick. It might be their poppiest record, but even someone who's more into progressive pop punk rock music can find a lot to love about it. I love this record. Even the B-sides on Let's Talk About Leftovers are some of the band's best work. Cover Jawbreaker, which is cool. They were firing on all cylinders at this point in their career. They didn't even wait a traditional two years after releasing Double Platinum, which was released the same day as Making Friends in 1997. By 1998, they were ready, November, to release Let's Talk About Feelings. They got this record out a year and a half later, and you can hear the urgency. I never played Tony Hawk. I wasn't really a big fan of video games at that point, but Joey Cape has mentioned that this newfound awareness from a really popular game catapulted their career into new territories. So I think it was a combination of that video game plus the Fat Records comp. And Fat Records 
Records, for all intents and purposes, was probably as massive as they were going to be at that point. They'd already sold millions of records. The album also features an Agent Orange cover, the song Everything Turns Gray. And I was not aware of this when I first heard the album. To me, I thought it was a Lagwagon song. And kudos to them for making it flow so seamlessly with the rest of the songs on the record. Fun fact, Stephen Egerton, guitarist of Descendants, and Bill Stevenson, drummer of Descendants, mixed the record at the Blasting Room in Fort Collins, Colorado. They started doing records around this time, and this is after their money-making deal with all the major record labels, so they were able to get a recording studio, but they didn't record it. I always thought it was recorded at the Blasting Room as well, but it was actually tracked at Motor Studios with the legendary Ryan Green, the one we just mentioned when we were talking about No Use for a Name and Fat Records. But he didn't mix the record. Ryan didn't mix it. Sonically, the record holds up extremely well. Stefan and Bill did an amazing job mixing this record. It still sounds great. The vocals are front and center. The guitars are clear and big. The drums are punchy and digestible. This is a record that still sounds great. And they could release this record tomorrow. And I don't think anybody would bat an eye. Everybody would just accept it as a new killer Lagwagon record. 12 songs, all killer. Even the Radiohead-esque interlude between Love Story and May 16th, The Kids Are All Wrong. I still love that song too. I think it's perfect. It has a hint of Bad Astronaut too, and I love that band, so maybe that's why I like it so much. This is my favorite Lagwagon record, and the description on the Fat Records website, let's talk about fillings, and (laughs) that's a nice little joke referring to the front cover, the lady on the front with red hair embraces. Next time you're at the dentist, you've got 12 new Lagwagon songs to drool to. Okay. I doubt Fat Mike wrote that one, but still funny. Great record. Okay, and on to the fourth. And the next legendary Fat Records 90s album that I want to highlight, my favorite, one of five that I'm mentioning here, is the magnum opus Twisted by Design by the mammoth Strung Out. No Strung Out is an American punk rock band from Simi Valley, California, formed officially in 1989. They are known mainly for their musical style, which fuses aspects of melodic punk rock, progressive rock, and heavy metal uh, to form their primary sound, but they've got a lot of influences and you can hear it in their music. Twisted by Design is Strung Out's third album, third official album, with Fat Records. The album was released on May 5th, 1998. The album was the last with former bassist Jim Cherry, who left the group one year later, replaced by current bassist Chris Aiken. And unfortunately, Jim Cherry passed away due to a heart problem in 2002. And I love Chris Aiken. He's an incredibly talented musician, guitar player, and bass player. But I think Jim Cherry contributed a ton to the band. I think that's evident when you listen to the first three records. And he went on to play in Pulley and formed his own band, Zero Down. They put out one record on Fat Records that's really, really great as well. You can tell he had a big contribution to the band, especially with their melodic punk sensibilities and their skate punk sensibilities. The album, Twisted by Design, was remixed, remastered, and re-released on April 15th, 2014 as a part of the first volume of Strung Out's 20th anniversary box set. 
The album received positive reviews by critics and fans alike. I've talked to a lot of Strung Out fans over the years, and this one tends to be a favorite among fans of the band, which makes sense. Some of their most well-known songs are on this record. Some of my favorite songs from Strung Out are on this record. The first record that I remember latching onto with Strung Out was... Suburban Teenage Wasteland Blues. I remember hearing that record, playing it front to back, and falling in love with it. I loved Jim Cherry's bass playing. I loved all the guitars. Even the recording, I didn't mind the recording. I still love that record. It's relentless in its execution. Twisted by Design has a little bit more variety in terms of sounds and different types of songs, and so that's why I chose Twisted by Design. Twisted also just happens to have my two favorite strung out tracks with Matchbook and Exhumation of Virginia Madison, which was on a fat comp as well. And I used to warm up to that opening riff all the time. I would sound check with that riff. The record, it's interesting because it was produced by Ulrich Wilde and he was more of an alternative heavy music guy. So I think this is one of the first records that he did that was in the skate punk genre, maybe the only record that he did in the skate punk genre. He's worked on a ton of albums over the years. He's credited as working with Pantera, Deftones, and he even engineered one of my favorite grunge albums of all time, Alice in Chains' Dirt, which just celebrated its 30th anniversary. The production on this record was so ahead of its time when it came out. Sonically, it still holds up. It sounds amazing. The drums are punchy. The guitars sound great. The vocals sound great. This record is timeless in my mind. And Strong Out really went for it with this record. I've heard Jake, their guitar player, mention that he didn't really love the sound of Suburban Teenage Wasteland Blue, so it makes sense that they would want to go with a different producer this time around. He's also said that they were aiming to go as far with their sound as they possibly could. They wanted to be faster, more technical, more intricate, more everything. They wanted to shred and be fast, but at the same time, they wanted to be melodic. And I think they successfully did all of these things. There are times where it sounds like Jordan Burns is literally going to run off the tracks. <laughs> he plays so fast and he's so technical. It's almost difficult to discern what he's doing half the time, especially with some of the fills. I think the part of Strung Out that really hooked me was the complexity of the guitars. They did a lot of really great guitar harmonies. And they were the first band that I remember hearing do that so often in their songs. Jason Cruz has a very distinctive, unique voice as well. It's got a unique quality to it. There's grit. He has his own sense of grit. Sometimes it sounds like he's straining to the point of nearly losing his voice, but he never quite does. He just reaches that level. And I think that just is his voice because over the years, I've seen them play live several times, at least a dozen times, and I've never once heard Jordan lose his voice live. It's almost mesmerizing to watch them live. I'm blown away by the fact that they can actually play those songs and play them so well in such a tight manner. Twisted by Design is the album where they really started venturing into some darker territory, even moments of metal and thrash, but it still remains a melodic skate punk record through and through. Songs like Iceburn and Ultimate Devotion give the record variety and depth that some might argue is missing from the previous records, but there's still a continuity to the record as well. It feels connected and it's difficult to skip any of the tracks after you've given the entire record enough attention. I loved their last full length as well. They've put out a lot of great records over the years, and I'm always excited to hear new Strung Out. Not bad for a band that's been around for 30 years. I could talk on and on about Strung Out and the influence that they had on me, especially with Twisted by Design and Suburban Teenage, but I will leave it at that. Here is the description for the record on the Fat Records website, which is pretty funny. Smoking Pot hasn't slowed these Southern California boys a bit. 
as fast as ever and more melodic than before. Twisted by Design is Strung Out's best effort ever. <laughs> nice. All right, and moving on to the fifth and final record that I'm going to highlight today. What about the times you did your best? Do a swipe my trouble soul. What happened to me? What happened to you? The ones that you said were Good Riddance. Everybody loves Good Riddance, right? Classic punk band. A Comprehensive Guide to Modern Rebellion. This is the fifth and final album that I'm going to mention. When I decided to do this podcast, I gave myself some rules that I was going to pick one album from each band, which made this really, really difficult because I probably would have picked Propagandi's Less Talk, More Rock. I probably listened to that record more than this Good Riddance record, but I definitely listened to Good Riddance quite a bit in the 90s as well. It was also a toss-up between ballads and this one, but I think I like A Comprehensive Guide to Modern Rebellion more. It's got some classic Good Riddance tunes on it. Russ is an amazing lyricist. He's only gotten better with time, but there's some great lyrics on A Modern Guide as well. Good Riddance has always been a band, as Ted Bond mentioned when we were talking about them in the interview we did, he mentioned that Good Riddance, I would agree with this, that Good Riddance is a band that has always had a high moral and ethical standing. And the things that are important to Russ and his band are very, very important to them. And that's reflected through the songs. I can listen to this whole record front to back, no skips in my mind. This is the first band that I got into that had hardcore punk influence as well, sensibilities in their music. Sometimes Russ does the shouty scream, and I love it, and I think he does it better than many bands. He really only does the shouty scream sing on two songs on this record, and I think it's smart that they do it on the two fastest and most intense and shortest songs. Sometimes I don't love it when bands throw a lot of these songs in with melody and stuff. If that's the way they sound, a band like La Dispute, then that's cool. You get used to that kind of dynamic, but I think it's tastefully done on this record. They do it on two songs, and it's Trophy, and the sky is falling towards the end. The other thing that I love about this particular Good Riddance record is how catchy it is. Some of his best melodies, Russ Rankin's melodies, are phenomenal on this, and it makes sense that this band influenced a band like Blink-182 and MXPX and the next crop of pop punk bands that were fast and intense, but they had great melodies and great pop sensibilities. There's pop melodies all over this record. This might be their poppiest record, which is interesting to say about a band like Good Riddance because they are so intense and so heavy. And Ballads, the next album after this one, is pretty heavy. There's some catchier songs and poppier songs on the record, but it's a heavy, dark record. It's a darker, still melodic punk record. But yeah, I love all the melodies on Comprehensive Guide. Even of the later tracks, the melodies are just killer. They really went for it with this record. There's really only one song that I'm not a huge fan of vocally, and it's the one where he's got the overly processed vocals on the song in the middle. It's called Weston Memorial. Russ has such a distinctive voice, like a lot of these bands do. Fat Mike got very, very lucky when he picked a lot of these early Fat Wreck bands. It's almost miraculous, really, when you think about it. Some of these bands have been around for 30 years, 30 plus years, still putting out records. Unfortunately, we don't have Tony Sly anymore. We don't have the last three or four No Use records, which is tragic in my mind, but we still have good riddance, and they are still putting out incredible records. I feel like Thoughts and Prayers might be my favorite good riddance record of all time, and that was the last record that they put out. But we're talking about Comprehensive here, Guide to Modern Rebellion. What a great record. 
it opens up with one of their best songs, Way to the World, one of the best good written songs, one of the best melodic punk songs. It's got a great iconic octave chord from Mr. Luke and the band, and he does a lot of really cool iconic lead lines that are octave slides. That opening line, do-do-do-do, so good. Yeah, that's a really, really hummable melody and a guitar line, and he's got a lot of those on this record. So good. I still love the recording of this record, even though it was recorded in 1995, 1996. Sonically, it still sounds incredible. A Comprehensive Guide to Modern Rebellion is the second album by Sam. Santa Cruz, California-based hardcore punk band Good Riddance, released on June 4th, 1996 through Fat Records. It was the band's first album with drummer Sean Sellers, what an incredible drummer, replacing Rich McDermott, who had left the group. Sean really doesn't get enough credit as a legendary punk drummer. He's an incredible drummer. And on this record in particular, this is the first time that I heard a lot of halftime beats in punk music. There are plenty of really great ones. The first one that sticks out to me is the second song, Steps. That halftime beat, I don't think I'd ever heard that in a skate punk song before. Maybe some Pennywise or something, but I love that beat. I love that song. And I got to give props to Sean Sellers. His drumming on this record is flawless. It's incredible. His drums still sound great. The snare has a nice crack to it, but it feels live and the recording's great. And he's just a solid drummer, still is. The album includes two cover songs, The Kinks Come Dancing, which are great, and Government Issues Hall of Fame, the latter included as a hidden track. Last Believer was titled after an episode of the 1991 PBS documentary series on President Lyndon B. Johnson. The song had previously been released on the band's debut EP, Gidget, in 1993 and was re-recorded for a comprehensive guide to modern rebellion. I love that song. And this is totally random, but is Gidget a reference to Sally Field, her old show back in the 50s, 60s, I think? Not sure. Singer Russ Rankin later remarked that, quote, I think a comprehensive guide to modern rebellion is important because that's when I found out that I was a songwriter. It was where I realized, hey, I guess I'm the songwriter for this band. (laughs) I'm glad he had that revelation. A couple albums deep. Seven songs written during the demo sessions for a comprehensive guide were left off the album, but you can find them on all the streaming networks. These tracks, Remember When, Flawed, Class War 2000, 21 Guns, Lame Duck Arsenal, Off the Wagon, and What We Have were recorded in a separate session with Andy Ernst at Art of Ears and released on Split EPs with Reliance, Ignite, Ill Repute, and Insign through other record labels over the following year. Which, you gotta hand it to Fat Records, allowing bands to do that when they want to. Having one album contracts, Fat Records, man, they... They definitely set the tone and set the example for indie labels. And I know they got a lot of what they did from Epitaph through Fat Mike working for Epitaph Records, but they even upped the ante, I think, and really maintained a good working relationship with so many of these legendary bands. And they're still putting out records through Fat Records. I think that says a lot. Yeah, I love this record. I love Good Riddance, classic fat band. And I think this is my favorite record of theirs in the 90s. Anytime I listen to this band, I'm reminded of a good friend of mine that passed away, unfortunately, 10 years ago, Mr. Ryan Bai. 
Good Riddance was his favorite band, and I remember listening to this record with him when I went on tour with the Underdog Conspiracy when I was 17 years old. Hard to pick a favorite song because I think this record, it's a quick record. It doesn't wear out its welcome. It's just easy to listen to the whole thing front to back. Okay, I'm going to leave it at that. Honorable mentions. There was a lot of records that I could have just as easily intermingled in this list of five. It was difficult. Don't Turn Away by Face to Face. Big choice by Face to Face. Like I said earlier, Less Talk, More Rock from Propagandi, Making the Road, and Angry Fist were records that I listened to a ton from High Standard, Double Platinum, Haas, Trashed, all the classics from Lagwagon. It was difficult to pick, but ultimately it came down to Let's Talk About Feelings. And then, of course, Le Chacon Carne and More Betterness from No Use for a Name. Two classics in and of themselves. It was difficult to narrow that one down as well. But I would love to hear your thoughts on what your favorite five, three, four, six, whatever records from Fat Records. Tell me what you think. Tell me if I'm completely wrong and I picked the wrong albums. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. You can tell me. Feel free to shoot me a message on all the social media stuff. You can send me a direct message on Instagram. My handle is at Kyle underscore Devlin underscore underscore. Yeah, let's have a conversation because... It's always fun to talk about Fat Records. And maybe I'll do another episode where I do EPs from the 90s or albums from the 2000s, 2010s, because Fat Records is still very alive and well. And I'm so thankful and grateful to Fat Records. I'm so glad they're continuing on. I'm so glad they're still doing it. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Fat Mike, for continuing to maintain Fat Records for all of us mega fans. We owe a debt of gratitude and then some for you. Thank you so much. Yeah, we'll have a new episode soon with some interviews. Got some cool interviews lined up. Looking forward to those. Hope you're all doing well out there beyond podcast land. Take care and go listen to some Fat Records classics. All right, bye. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be incredible. I'd really appreciate it. Wherever you listen to podcasts, another thing you could do would be to share this podcast with a friend, anyone who enjoys this type of music or personal development in general. All right, I hope you're having a wonderful day. Hopefully, you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. Take care, and I'll talk to you later. So close your eyes and get yourself your